Welcome to episode 27 of season 2 of the Search with Candor podcast. My name is Jack Chambers-Ward, and this week I am joined by a very special guest, Alice Russell, who is the Growth Marketing Manager at Picturine. We'll be talking about SEO and PPC, how they relate to each other, and what SEOs can learn from PPC, maybe some techniques, and how the two cross over and relate to each other, and some misconceptions about how they don't cross over with each other as well. Before I get to my conversation with Alice, Search with Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. Go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their Instagram hashtag generator, hreflang validator, check out your site's visibility index, and their Google update tracker. And I've actually got a preview of their upcoming sector watch that will be out later this week, if you're listening to this on Monday. I'm actually going to be talking about some electric bikes on this week's Sector Watch. And as I said, this little preview, this will be out for you guys on Thursday on the Systrix blog. So if you go to systrix.com slash blog, you can find Sector Watch and all of their fantastic blog posts there. So let's dive into some electric bike discussion, shall we? And since we're in the middle of Tour de France, it feels kind of appropriate to start discussing this kind of thing. And they have become pretty, pretty popular over the last couple of years, especially because of, of course, people buying bikes and finding exercise and things because of COVID-19, all of the lockdowns and people finding different ways to go and exercise in and around their homes and outside as well. So what Sector Watch essentially does is dive into this entire industry and give you a summary of what keywords are doing, what big domains are doing, what some of the industry leaders are doing. And it's a really interesting deep dive into kind of this search intent for a lot of keywords and a real kind of glimpse into and a kind of a snapshot and overview of the entire industry. So if you do have a website or a client you're looking to get into the electric bike industry side of things, then this is a really, really interesting piece for you to dive into. Uh, Charlie over at Systrix, one of their data journalists there, does a fantastic job of giving a, a pretty clear overview of the top domain. So as you'd imagine here in the UK, there's people like Halfords and Amazon, and then going through and talking about some of the publications as well. So kind of swapping from the where you would buy an electric bike to where you would read about an electric bike and understand more information about them. So going from a do, a transactional keyword intent, moving over to an informational or research intent as well. So we're kind of covering both sides there and it gives you a really good idea of the kind of articles people are writing about it and the kind of publications that are really covering this kind of stuff. Charlie goes on to highlight publications such as cyclingweekly.com, bikeradar.com, techradar.com and we even go through and talk about kind of the growth of the market as a whole, how many different publications are now covering it over the years. There's a fantastic examples and maybe my favorite thing about sector watch and what charlie does is diving into the content and he does brilliant analysis of some of the top content examples in this industry and tries to understand why they work why they're ranking why they're performing so well and how you can get an idea and maybe use this for one of your electric bike articles that is relevant to you and your site or use it as inspiration for something else entirely but it might spark some inspiration for you and some of your content there as well even go through looking at some of the specific high performance using data from Statistrix, of course, and going through and having a look at some fantastic data. The rank distribution graphs for multiple competitors going across the UK there and getting an idea of where the lion's share of the rankings are coming from for each domain. 
and even comparing some on-page SEO stuff as well and seeing why certain sites are doing so well. So if you would like a glimpse and a little snapshot and an overview and essentially a really nice detailed dive into content around electric bikes, I really recommend this week's Sector Watch will be coming out later this week on systrix.com slash blog. And without any further ado, here is my conversation with Alice Rizal, the Growth Marketing Manager at Picturine. And welcome to the show, Alice Rizal. How are you, Alice? Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing fine. What about you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you for asking back. That's nice. <laughs> Always a good side of a podcast guest to ask the host how they are as well. <laughs> so Alice, I know you and I have been talking on Twitter recently. I put out a call for guests on the podcast to get some new people who we've not spoken to previously on the podcast to talk about some new topics and stuff like that. And we do cover SEO. We do cover PPC on this show. But I don't know. I'm very guilty of it because I'm pretty much pure SEO myself. I don't know. Mark is mostly SEO these days. He has done PPC in the past. We do try to cover as much PPC stuff as possible. But at heart, we're kind of SEOs. And you brought up the topic that I think was really interesting, especially for me as somebody who doesn't particularly know that much about PPC. Basically, our topic is going to be what SEOs should know about PPC. And we're going to talk about the relationship between those two, how they interact, maybe some misconceptions about how they interact, the level of kind of transparency and opacity from the two sides of things as well, from whether that's from Google or Bing or whatever it is. We're going to get into a lot of PPC talk. So SEOs, if you want to learn about PPC, this is the episode for you. So Alice, I don't know if you want to give yourself a little intro, explain to the listeners who you are, what you do, your journey through SEO, PPC, all that kind of stuff, a career history in like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> wow, a career history. <laughs> So I'm Alice. Uh, I started my career journey in 2014 already. Oh, wow. Um, so I started by doing PPC and SEO as well for one year. And at the end of my first year, I went full into SEO because I was in love with SEO, <laughs> to, to be honest. And there, there were some things that like struck me with PPC was that it was for me maybe too simple, you know, because you had to bid on keywords to buy keywords and then you had the algorithm doing everything for you. So I was like, yeah, okay. But mm, there is something in SEO that I'm more uh, attracted by is that the way that you, you don't know everything, like you don't master everything because you don't know the algorithm. So you have your assumptions, etc. But th that was the thing that was interesting and the fact that I chose to specialize into SEO. And then during the last six years, if I'm not wrong, I've been specializing into SEO. And two years ago, I told myself, okay, today I'm in my comfort zone. So I'm going out and I'm doing PPC again. So that's what I do at Pixarin. I do PPC, I do social ads, and I do SEO as well when I have the time to do so. <laughs> So yes, this is my journey support. Excellent. That's an interesting one. Like the fact that you started off with both, then split off to SEO, then came back to PPC. It's an interesting kind of journey. I think a lot of people, from my experience, will start off kind of dipping their toes in both in, in that way. I know I did as well when I first, so I, I really, I started off first in SEO in the in-house role I started off with. 
And then once I moved to an agency for the first time, I went off and was kind of like, basically, they just gave me some accounts and were like, there you go, do some PPC. I was like, oh, okay. Now I'm suddenly doing paid social stuff. Now I'm suddenly doing Google ads and all that kind of stuff. And I was never really like trained on it or anything like that. I was just kind of hoping for the best, but crossing my fingers and hoping for the best. And now kind of like coming back to SEO since working at Canda over the last year and obviously doing this podcast, it's been an interesting journey for me as well. Now coming back around and being like, like you said, falling in love with SEO again and kind of settling back into that role. And kind of place where I want to start is I think a lot of the misconceptions people have about the relationship between PBC and SEO. I've heard so many SEOs complain about PBC you know, stealing their keywords or taking up real estate on the SERPs and things like that. Should we dive into that a little bit and talk about kind of, I think some of the complaints SEOs have about PPC, why they might, some might be right and some might be wrong. I think one I've, I've always heard is the, if your clicks are going down from an organic perspective, that might be because more things are happening on the paid side of things. And I've heard that from both sides, people saying like, oh, I'm blaming my lack of clicks because of this reason. And then other people say, well, no, actually, there's actually different audiences for that kind of thing. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, that's interesting and a <laughs> funny debate to me. Um, I think that some years ago, yes, it was true that when you had a lot of paid ads above the organic ones, of course, you were um, you lost CTR and, and so on. But today, I think it's different because the SERP is different today. It means that if you type how to boil eggs, then you will have a position zero with all the steps that you need to boil your eggs. If you look for any information about someone, then you have the knowledge graph that gives you the answer. And somewhere over the years, Google is giving, giving you nuggets. It means that you don't need to click on a, on a result, either paid or an organic one, to get your answer. So today I would like to say yes. Maybe sometimes for certain queries, paid search is the bad guy in the story <laughs> because as an SEO, you don't get the click, right? But for a lot of queries, maybe I, I don't know, maybe like 90% of the queries today, when you look for something, then you, you don't have the old SERPs that you used to see, you know, with the paid ads and the organic results. Now you have the knowledge graph, the local pack. The people also ask. You have the position zero, the paid ads, and everything else. So, of course, all this ecosystem tend to reduce the number of clicks for organic, but people tend to click less whatever the result is, because Google is able to give you the answer without you having to click on anything else. It's just you type your query and that's it. So yeah, that's a funny debate because maybe two years ago, it was still true that PBC actually stole clicks, but today I don't think it's, it's true anymore because of all of that. Uh, something I've talked about with Luke, one of our search specialists here, like he always talks about the different different people click on ads to different people who click on organic results. I know I'm totally guilty of this as myself. As an SEO, I just, <laughs> I <do too. laughs> just scroll past the ads. Don't worry about the ads. I know, get them out of the way and then move straight down to organic results. And I wonder kind of like it's the coming through to like the, the audience in general and, and humans using search engines and how much more educated we are now in 2022 
especially with younger people coming through. I know I'm going to have an episode on TikTok coming up soon as a search engine, and that's a whole other discussion. But even how we're using Google has shifted over the last 10 years or so. And I think different people who click on ads are maybe less experienced in some senses or, or <laughs> like I know my parents, are the kind of people, they're not internet people at all. They would click on an ad without even realizing it's an ad a lot of the time. Whereas that's because you're not objective, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think there is that interesting kind of conversation where as we get more and more educated as people using search engines and more and more people learn about digital marketing and SEO and PPC, even if it's not part of their job or their career, people understand how search engines work more in just culture in general. I think that's a really interesting thing where, I don't know, we'll see kind of like, and we'll get onto this topic in a second, well, the more automation of paid search as well and how the whole kind of industry is going to shift. Do you think there are kind of clear divides of audiences or do you think it's not as simple as that for people who click on paid ads versus people who are always going to click on organic results? That's a good one. I would say that first, I think that it depends on the device that you use. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. It's easier to scroll on desktop to, to go to the organic results. On the contrary, when you use your mobile, then you, I, I think, maybe I'm wrong, that you tend to click on the paid ads more because maybe you are in a hurry or something, you know, and I don't know, on, on a mobile, it's not that easy to scroll to see all the results. So I would say that first, it depends on the device that you use. And as you said, maybe uh, your parents click on, on the ad result because <laughs> <laughs> they are less indicative about such engines. I, I don't know. To be honest, I think that we are not objectives because we work in this field. So, of course, we tend to have our opinions and assumptions. I know that, uh, like you, I try not to click on paid ads because, you know, that's like it. I, I don't like to do it, even if I might spend millions of dollars on, on campaigns. But, yeah, I won't click on, on paid ads. And maybe it's, um, as you said, a question of, audiences. I was last week I was looking at audiences using search engines because today we tend to use more and more social media such as uh, TikTok, Instagram and etc. Uh, maybe not Facebook, not anymore. And I was wondering where are people looking for information? Is it still on search engines or is it now on social media? And it appears that according to Statista, people between 18 and 30 uh, years old, if I'm not wrong, tend to use social media more to look for information. So yes, maybe that's a question of education, as you said, because I think that once they use a search engine, then they don't know very well how it works. And then they will click on paid ads because after all, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting. There have been a lot of studies recently. And like I said, the next couple of episodes, I will be interviewing somebody talking about TikTok as a search engine and how I've seen statistics. And even um, some of the executives from Google have been talking about it, how more people and especially younger people, you said that kind of 13 to 18 and then even 18 up to sort of 25 or so, that sort of age range are using social media more and more often. You can get 
a quick answer of like you mentioned how to boil an egg earlier like oh yeah you can get the little featured snippet in position zero yeah sure whatever or you could get a 30 second video that shows you step by step by step how to do it when to add the salt when to heat your pan all this kind of stuff and you get the answer there and then on tiktok that you can pause and scroll through and whatever i think it's really interesting that you know we've we're coming through this kind of age of education about search engines and i feel like we're now moving and i I hate to use this phrase like into the next phase of whatever digital marketing is going to become right i know everybody's talking about nfts and metaverse and all that kind of stuff but i do feel there is a shift certainly coming in the industry as a as a whole as well sticking on the misconception side of things i've heard a lot of people talk about how if you're using the same account and you're you, you know working for a client or working on a site and things like that from both seo and ppc they can actually benefit each other in certain ways. So if you're bidding on a keyword from an account for that client or that site, from a PPC perspective, you, it can actually enhance your rankings from an organic perspective. I don't think that's true from my understanding, but please correct me if I'm wrong, Alice. <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with you. There is no way doing PPC can help your rankings. There's actually no way it can happen. So. The, I think that the only way you can benefit from PPC is like launching a new landing page and then running some tests through PPC to find how to optimize your um, conversion rate, what copy you should use, etc. And then using that landing page f- as a page for your SEO as well. Otherwise, no. There is no way you can <laughs> you, you can benefit from from your um, from your paid search campaigns. And even if you, I already heard some, something about it. Like, yeah, but I spend like uh, two hundred two hundred thousand uh, dollars a month on PPC. So yeah, I I benefit from from it on a on a SEO perspective. No, that's not true. You could <laughs> even like spend one billion a month that you won't still benefit from from it for for a SEO perspective. So no. <laughs> yeah, and just to touch on landing pages there, I think that's a really interesting topic. I've been talking to a client about this recently who is both a PPC and SEO client for us, and we've been talking about landing pages and things like that. Do you think there's an advantage or a disadvantage to kind of what approach you would take? If uh, a client or a site is doing both, how to approach building a landing page? Would you would you build it just for a PPC standpoint and then have it kind of like no indexed from an organic point of view, or would you have it as serving both so it's kind of a you know fully optimized and well written all that kind of stuff for SEO and also coming in with PPC team or whoever manages that and have their kind of take on like you said click through rates and thinking about where the customer journey is ending up at the end of the day and things like that. Is there advantages to having a dedicated PPC landing page or having a hybrid that does both? Are there any kind of like disadvantages, advantages for that side of things? Good question. So I think that the best solution is to use the same landing page if for your PPC campaigns, you are not targeting specific people. Then if you specific targeting people, like, I don't know, uh, Batman fans, as as we <laughs> do uh, now, for instance. So that's uh, the first idea that that came up. Yes, it's interesting to have a dedicated landing page that is no index, unless you have an interest in SEO for it. But in 
PPC, if you, yes, if you target very specific audiences, maybe it makes more sense to use dedicated landing pages because they tend to rely more on a specific copy, rely more on a specific design, images, videos, and so on. So yes, it can make sense in that case. That's coming back around to the audiences side of things, right? Yeah. Like different audiences for different PPC and different SEO stuff, right? Yeah, we, we run a test recently. We are trying to build another business from scratch in the photo printing in vertical. And at first we were using the same landing page for all the products that we were selling. And on Facebook ads, uh, Instagram, TikTok, etc., we were targeting specific people by campaign, depending on our objectives, but we were using the same landing page. And last week, uh, we made a switch and we told ourselves, okay, we are going to test a specific landing page for a specific product category, etc. And it works like very well. So yes, that's why I'm saying that it makes more sense to have dedicated landing pages when you are targeting specific people. So maybe it can be interesting for SEO as well to benefit from these pages if you can get clicks from these queries as well, depending on, you know, if people tend to look for it on a search engine or if people tend to click on an advertising on Facebook and Instagram, etc., for something they weren't looking for, but once they saw the ads, then say, oh, okay, I'm going to buy it. So for of this, it depends. <laughs> Welcome to the SEO answer. We got an, we got it depends in there, <laughs> listeners. Don't worry. <laughs> so, touching on some of the things and kind of the main topic, we'll talk about like how SEOs can benefit from some PPC knowledge. What are some of the kind of techniques and tools you think that come from building a paid campaign that can also translate and benefit for some organic stuff as well? Things like keyword research, certain tools, certain techniques, things like that. Is there anything that kind of you know, your, your top recommendations for like, if you're an SEO that's looking to learn a bit more and kind of expand your knowledge base, what are the kind of things you should be looking for in terms of PPC skills that might benefit you in SEO as well? Well, that's a good question. It's hard today to, yeah, to, I mean, to learn PPC from an SEO perspective, but let's say that if you want to broaden your skills, I would suggest to run a campaign build a landing page and then with an objective and then trying to, you know, reach your, your objective, either it's lead or purchase and et cetera, and do it on Google ads, maybe Bing ads, if you are lucky <laughs> on Facebook ads, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok as well, to get a fully understandable of how things work for paid acquisitions for so on Google ads for people who are still using search keywords, search queries, and on social media to understand how people react to paid ads, actually, how do they react to ads they didn't look for, but they could be interested in. And all those learnings can benefit in SEO because it gives you a better understanding of all the audiences, like a 360 degree view of everything. And then you have, according to me, then you have more learnings, you have more power somewhere to 
to be better at building web pages to you you tend to be better at working with designer ux a researcher you use a researcher as well that's interesting and yes it gives you the power to to all of that you know to to broaden your learnings and to benefit from from all of it and to somewhere communicate not only with developers and designers, but to be able to, to communicate with a broader audience internally or with your clients, etc. Yeah, I think UX and especially user research you just touched on there is something that kind of goes under the radar, for want of a better phrase. Like people forget how important that can be to, especially to, we're talking about landing pages just now, things like click-through rate and things like that, whether that's coming from an organic or a paid side of things. Are there any kind of ways you'd recommend people, I guess, to bring it into the process as early as possible would be the, would be the thinking there of like, if you're thinking about something, have UX and user research and design in mind from the very beginning and work with you know your team, whether that's internal or external, whatever it is, work with that team as well during that process. Do you, do you think that's kind of valid to bring that that? part of it all together at the same time as early as possible before you kind of get your own ideas and run away with them and then oh by the way we need to design a thing <laughs> yeah there are plenty of ways you can do things something that is interesting about user research for instance is then you can start your user research before ever ever having a landing page so one way of doing this is by building like a google form or a type form for instance and asking for user feedback about an idea that you've got. And then that's a way to like start your user journey, your user research. And then you grab all those information. And then from there, you have maybe two options, I guess. Option A, then you build everything from the feedback. And option B, you build 50 from the feedback and 50 from your intuition because you don't have any data yet. So with your team, design team, engineering team, et cetera, you are building, you know, like a 50-50 of feedback and total intuition of what you think is the best. I think it's interesting because that, that intuition is a key part of it as well. I think a lot of a lot of us in SEO and in PPC as well have that kind of Ah, oh, this just feels right kind of moment. And sometimes that's completely wrong. <laughs> and some, sometimes you will stumble onto a, a little magic moment that will perfectly work and things like that. Is there anything you can think of that would be kind of like things that people don't realize go into PBC that also relate to SEO? So thinking like from my experience working with the PBC team here at Canada, keyword research has been such a big like collaborative thing for us starting with a new client or a new website. And I, I, I've experienced it before where I've gone off and done my SEO work and started my like, you know, content planning with a big keyword research project. And the PPC team are doing the same thing. And then we realize we've got the same data. Why have we done it twice? <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you think kind of keyword research can, does it differ between the two? How can it relate to each other? And how can people from an SEO side of things learn about that kind of PPC process as well? Interesting. So as an SEO, I think that we tend to rely on search volume. We are still relying on it. And as we said earlier, because users tend to click less on results, etc., 
I think that it it makes less sense today than it was doing yesterday. I think that the best like deal you can have with PPC is by running a campaign, keywords that are relevant to your products, services, etc., and see like what what is the demand behind a specific keyword so exp express in, in terms of impressions, and then see the CTR paid ads have on for, for these keywords. Because if the CTR is like 50%, so it won't, but for, for instance, if it is 50%, then it can be interesting in terms of search volume to look, to go after this keyword, but it, you won't benefit from it from an SEO perspective because you can already see that paid, paid search tend to acquire all the traffic you can get from it. So yeah, somewhere this is the best use you can have of PPC is that you have your first clues, your first learnings before even starting your SEO strategy on it. It's like, do your keyword research. What are the keywords that are relevant to me based on what I offer as a product service? What are the keywords that are relevant based on the contents I have written? Test it by running ad campaigns on them. Look at the number of impressions, number of clicks, so the CTR, and look as well at the number of conversions you have, and then see if you can also benefit from them for an SEO perspective. And sometimes you will unfortunately see that for some keywords that have a very important search volume, there, it won't be interesting to, to work on it on your SEO because at the end you won't uh, benefit from it. You, you will have 10 clicks a day and one conversion. So yeah, <laughs> that's not worth <laughs> the, the wait and, and the work. I know Mark has talked a lot about this, even his Brighton SEO talk and things like that have been about zero volume keyword research and, and talk about those real kind of long tail queries and the the layer of conversion you can get from them, how somebody looking for some, an incredibly specific answer, if you are there and you're going to be one of the first people to answer that question, you're more likely to get that click through rate. And, I, and you're totally right. I'm glad you brought up kind of search from there because I feel like so many people get caught up in the, and and especially from sort of like, a lot from the client side of things and thinking about their KPIs and all this kind of stuff. Like we mustn't target anything under 300 search volume or some number <laughs> that the CEO has pulled out of thin air and just nothing under 100, nothing under 500, whatever yeah. it is. I think that's really interesting. Do you think there is value in kind of understanding the ad copy from a PPC perspective and how that translates to things like meta titles, meta descriptions, all that kind of stuff? Do you think the the wording and the kind of language you use can be translated between the two of them, or should they be kind of separate because they are targeting separate audiences, or is it a depends and it's kind of both? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I it's difficult to answer that one because when you run an ad campaign, then you are using headlines and descriptions for your ad, but you are for an one ad you are using up to 10 headlines and up to five descriptions. And then Google shows on a daily basis um, what is the best combination possible to, to give you the, the best performance behind it. So 
somewhere, yes, you could use the best combination. It is according to Google to use it uh, for your title and, and description for your search results as well. But again, yes, it may depend on if your combination is always the same or not. And also something else, if you are bidding on a keyword and you are optimizing your website for that same keyword, does it make sense to use the same title and description? Because if a user didn't click on your ad and you are offering the same title and description as an organic result, chances are the user won't click on it as well because you didn't somewhere convince him of, of doing so. So yeah, the question is, is asked and yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one because I think, again, looking at when you look at a SERP and you see them kind of next to each other, they can be so different. And as you said, because you're thinking about it from a different perspective, right? I think how when we look at PBC and look at SEO as kind of two sides of the same coin, in a lot of ways, you can learn from each other. You can understand from the other perspective. And like I said, I, I'm fortunate a candidate in where I'm usually sat at my desk. I'm next to one of our PPC specialists. So we can kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Um, do you think there's value in that having sort of like, whether that's in-house or agency side, having the PPC and SEO members of the digital marketing team communicating and having that transparency between each other and kind of, especially if you're working on the same site, there must be some benefits there of kind of understanding each other's perspectives and things. Yeah, that's a very good one. I always worked around PPC people. This is the best way, yes, you can benefit from, from them. At the end of the day, either you are a PPC or SEO, your objective is the same, is to acquire new users and evict them to sign up, to purchase, to, I don't know, add to cart, etc. So somewhere we are using, you are, we are pursuing the same objective, not using the same weight. But yeah, at the end of the day, we are, we all want the same thing. So yes, it's super cool to be able to work uh, with them on a daily basis and having them near you. Of course it is. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk, let's get into some complaining about things. We touched on performance max earlier and I know it's yeah, something wow. is a very hot topic in PBC at the moment. And yes. even coming from a, an SEO side of things, how much of the kind of discussion around AI generated content and things like that, and all this kind of automation that's happening in SEO versus PPC, uh, we've touched on Performance Max a couple of times on the show. How do you feel about it as a you know professional working in PPC now? And where do you where do you see the kind of industry going from Google's perspective now that they're kind of this is the new thing, try Performance Max and kind of pushing a lot of PMAX campaigns. To be honest, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first person I've spoken to that said that. Don't worry. <laughs> when I get back into PPC, uh, so in 2020, if I'm not wrong, you were still able to, to bid on keywords, you know, and to, well, for web campaigns. So you were still able to, bid on keywords and see the performances they were having. If you were doing campaigns for app, so for mobile applications for Android and iOS, you were already blanked. It means that you didn't get the information on what were the 
keywords because Google tells you, hey, thanks to our machine learning algorithm, we are able to bid on keywords for you depending on your copy. And we won't give you that much information, so we won't tell you, hey, that keyword bid on for you make um, 1,000 installs and $10,000 revenue. So you don't have access to the information. Since last year with what we call uh, performance max, so for web search campaigns, that's exactly the same. Google is telling you, hey, no worry. No, my machine learning algorithm is super cool. So <laughs> here you don't have to spend hours and hours doing your keyword research, etc. Just write your copy, add your creatives, images, videos, HTML5, if you want to, and then I will, I will do everything else for you. Well, to, to be honest, that's a complete, completely mess because you don't <laughs> have access to the keywords. You don't have access to the placement. So you don't know if your impressions are coming from Google search, uh, YouTube, Gmail, etc. You don't have that information. And that's something I don't understand with PPC is that you bid on something. It means that you spend money. And today you spend money on things you can't rely 100% on because yeah. you don't know what Google do with, with, with that, you know? Yeah. I think that's particularly tricky when you're reporting as well, like whether that's reporting to a client or reporting to your managers or directors internally, like, like, oh, we spent $10,000. Like, I don't know where that went, but here's some clicks, I guess. Like, I don't know. <laughs> what what keywords are performing? I don't know. What page is performing? Don't know. Uh, was it on YouTube? Don't know. Brilliant. <laughs> right. Okay, great. Yeah. How do you see that affecting the, the PPC industry as a whole? Do you think it, Google are going to kind of push I, I i always see it as kind of a, they're pushing people away and trying to get more automation more control because of course as we know and as we've talked about on the show before google makes lots of money from these ads they make hundreds of billions of dollars a year from these ads and they are going to get you to spend more money i know we've talked a lot about uh here at canda like the oh you haven't got a hundred percent uh, like optimization of your campaign. And a lot of it is if you spend more money, you'll get more clicks. Like, yeah, I know that's not an optimization <laughs> thing. That's just a statement. That's not a and Google is just encouraging you to spend more money. So do you no. think it's kind of driven by a lot of that rather than kind of, you know, actual positive outlooks for websites and clients and things like that? It's, is it kind of just Google making more money and trying to push kind of middlemen like us working in agencies kind of trying to push us out of the way and do the work for us. And I guess, where do you see that going in five, 10 years time, if everything is kind of controlled by robots? <laughs> <laughs> so first to, to answer you on this, I, I see Google as in French, we say mental, and in English, it will be a cheese with holes in it, you know, and Earlier, just before Google introduced machine learning in PPC, you were able to select your placement. So to select YouTube over Google search, Google search over uh, Gmail, etc. But somewhere for Google, it means 
earning less revenue, right? And by introducing machine learning and by bidding on keywords for you and selecting placements for you, then they fill the all of the cheese. So they can increase their revenue and keywords tend to be a little bit more expensive as well. So yes, they 100% benefit from it, of course. To be honest, I don't have any clue of what it, it would look like in 10 years. So far, I think that they are going to leverage more and more on machine learning. So we won't be able to rely on keywords bidding anymore. We can still with search campaigns because Performance Max is still in beta, but I guess that at the end of the year or next year, we will only have Performance Max, so machine learning everywhere and thus able to have all the information. And same for GA4, right? So today you, you don't have all the information you add in GA3 and it's not getting better. So in the coming years, <laughs> I see that as a big mess because uh, they are topics around uh, user privacy, etc. They hide information from us, information that I, I think that we could still use because they are information that are relevant from a search perspective as an SEO or PPC, relevant as a designer, relevant as a user researcher, etc. So they hide all those information and I think that it's for the bad. So in 10 years, I don't know. The only clue I have on it is that, as I said earlier, people tend to switch the way they look for information. Gen Z, for instance, use way more social media than a search engine. So maybe in 10 years, when they will be, they will be I, I don't know, many, many people doing, having the same habit on looking for, looking for any information on social media. I, I don't know how the search engine will be. I know that today, as this is a sentence I, I, I like, Google giving you nuggets, so <laughs> you don't have to click on anything. It's like a, a snack search engine. You don't have to click on anything. You have your answer directly. So in 10 years, I, I mean, in the coming years, I see Google as trying to, trying its, its best to, you know, being cool to use for Gen, Gen Z. And with, as you said, for uh, boiled eggs, with videos, etc. So, yeah, but it's going to change and it's going to change a lot for sure. Um, for us doing, you know, the user acquisition, it's not changing for good because we <laughs> have access to way more or less information. So, yes. And it's the same. For, we, we didn't talk about um, user acquisition on other platforms uh, such as Apple Search Ads, for instance. Mm -hmm. But last year with iOS 15, Apple said, hey, user privacy, you don't have access to the user ID anymore. So good luck for uh, finding where the install comes from, where your revenue comes from, etc., etc." So yes, it's the, the way we 
lost access to the data, it's not only on Google, it's everywhere and it's even on GA4 and you won't be able to find it to find it in, in Adobe or AT Internet or uh, Matomo Analytics, etc. You won't be able to to do it. So yeah, it's somewhere it's scary to tell ourselves what are we going to do to still do our, still do our job well because we are we will have way more or less information than, than we had before. So yeah. That's an open question. <laughs> <laughs> I think working with less data is so interesting, right? Because PBC, SEO, I think if you're doing it right, should involve data from the very beginning. Like you said, when you're running a test on something that is so key for whether you're running like A-B testing for titles, for click-through rate, or like you said, running 10 headlines in a campaign and things like that and understanding all that sort of thing. When you have less data to work with, you're going to, be less informed when you create your campaigns and your pages and your websites and things like that. It's a, it's a weird direction we're going in. You're totally right about the privacy thing as well. I know I experienced that in, um, with previous clients who were like focused on Facebook and Instagram advertising. And we just saw our clicks just drop off a cliff when, like you said, the iOS yeah. update happened. And it was suddenly like, yeah, no user data. They have to accept it before they can even begin to receive these things. So you, we just saw a massive like 60, 70% drop off in some clients. It was absolutely crazy. I know that's very much where we're heading, as you rightly said, again, with GA4. That's so clearly a reaction from Google about the recent GDPR and various other like international privacy laws and things like that. It, it's fascinating to me to see where this industry is going when privacy is becoming more and more important from a legal perspective we're all kind of trying to push back we're like we need user data please no stop <laughs> <laughs> i think it's a really interesting one as well because we were talking about performance max we've touched on a couple of things already coming back around i guess to how seo and pbc work together using that user data is there a way we can kind of try and not necessarily future proof ourselves but think about how we can adapt ourselves to work with this high privacy less user data kind of environment we're finding ourselves in now whether that's like paid social stuff and i know a lot of people are now working with sort of tiktok advertising as well coming through as the the hot new topic in social media and and advertising things like that is there anything you can think of that can you can kind of think about now rather than waiting for it to happen a year, 18 months, two years down the line. Yeah, you, you can still use information for from social media, of course. For instance, for knowing your audiences, what kind of product attracts that specific audience and, and etc. But the way you look for information on social media is way different than the one people use on search engine. So not sure you, there is a link, you know, between the two, except for for the audiences, but still, on a way you have like key uh, search queries, and on another one you have like snack consumption videos, images, um, audio, etc. So yeah, it's way more different, and I'm not sure we can benefit from it for an SEO perspective. But still, as keywords tend to be more and more expensive for certain queries. Maybe SEOs will gain more CTR for specific queries because investments are going down for some of them. 
to give you um, an example, here at Pictorin, we still uh, use Google Ads a lot for uh, user uh, acquisition, but we are switching to social media. And it means that, yes, we, we spend a lot on, on Google Ads, but for certain keywords, we told ourselves, okay, then we can pause it. It's not the volume behind it. It's, it's not that important. So go ahead. We can post the video on, on that keyword. And it means that we can use our website to like retrieve the click we don't have anymore uh, with the pay that. So, you know, somewhere maybe there is something that is going to happen between paid and SEO in terms of who is having the click, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So let's round things off and touch on some some social media stuff. Do you think that is where a lot of the people are going to be going? I know, and again, I know we've kind of touched on it already. I keep saying the word TikTok because everybody's talking about TikTok at the moment, but there is... Do you think there's a shift in intent there, especially, as we said, from the younger users as well, moving over to use things like TikTok? And I remember when I first got into SEO, like I saying, like four years ago now, so many people were talking about, oh, YouTube is the second biggest search engine and all this kind of stuff. And now, as of last year, TikTok was more visited than Google itself, which blows my mind. And even coming around to tying it into the kind of privacy laws and things as well, there's been a lot of controversy around user data from TikTok as well, whether that's the US government trying to fight back against it and, and various European governments and GDPR and things like that. Do you think that's kind of like, is that a viable market to go into considering how privacy is shifting? Or do you think something like TikTok is kind of a, a, a flash in the pan momentary thing, which will eventually get shut down because of the crazy privacy laws or... Is it something that is a viable alternative for other social things? And like you said, going and targeting new users and different users from a from a client's perspective. Um, yeah, I, I think it is. It's like less more volatile than NFT, for instance. <laughs> so TikTok became an habit. NFT, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, and something that struck me with TikTok is that people actually purchase from TikTok. It means that you scroll to to watch videos, then you stop on a video because I don't know, it is, the video is attracting, and then you end up making a purchase. Well, that's awesome and completely out of nowhere, I, mm. I, I think, because would you have thought that people could actually purchase from TikTok two years before when TikTok um, increased in habits, usage, etc. I think that we, we didn't know it could happen, but it does now. People are purchasing from videos that you see on TikTok. So there is big shift in the user habits today. And, and yes, that's incredible. So I see it as today, I don't see another social media going after TikTok. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I've not heard of another social media being trendy. So TikTok is going to be around here for, for a long time, I guess. And, you know, it's like when Uber um, appeared in New York and, and, you know, went to see the taxis and it was um, like a 
an explosion in the industry where you can get get a, a cap for a, I don't know ten dollars instead of fifty, and TikTok it, it's the same. It's a social media that came and that reverts everything because you no know, Facebook is for the old ones. Instagram <laughs> is trying to be the new TikTok with reels. You got YouTube Shorts in there as well, obviously. Yes. So the fact is TikTok had the power to reinvent, to force other actors to reinvent themselves. Even Google, because Google uh, offers videos, uh, short answers, etc. So there's a big avenue for videos, right? And that thinks that thanks to TikTok. So that's the way I, I, I see the ecosystem today. But something else is coming because it can't stay that way. In it was when in twenty oh five when Facebook came, we said, Okay, that's the social media, that all the ecosystem is. But today when you look at Facebook, you tell, okay, so that my parents are on it. So Facebook is for the old ones. I'm not interested <laughs> in Facebook anymore. And that's something we couldn't, we didn't think about at that time. And of course, another social media is going to, to reinvent the, the ecosystem after TikTok. I don't know which one. I don't know how video images, etc. I don't know, but yes. And it's going to, to, to change for sure. Uh, so I don't remember your question. I, I went way deep into my answer, but yeah. <laughs> it's what we're here to do. Don't worry. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about how TikTok has shifted the landscape. I think you totally answered the question. Thinking about how, again, people trying to, for want of a better phrase, escape that privacy crunch that we're having at the moment with Facebook, with Google, with so many big companies, because obviously TikTok being based out of China and things like that, they have very different regulations out there, so they can kind of that's why they're kind of bouncing off so many of the US government regulations and things like that as well. Do you think more platforms will try and emulate that and try and do things where they're trying to get around these privacy laws? Or do you think it's kind of an inevitable thing for us in Europe and in the US and in the UK for GDPR and other privacy like international regulations? They're gonna be here to stay, right? Or do you think people are going to try and sneak around with other things like TikTok? I think that regulation is going to stay, unfortunately. And I think that people didn't ask for regulation in the first place. Because <laughs> look at when people download an app, how many of them are looking at the terms and conditions before downloading oh, the app? Absolutely nobody, yeah. There's a, there's a brilliant infographic I saw a few years ago that was how long it would take for you to read all of the terms and conditions for all of the things that you use like oh you bought your first iphone have you ever read apple's terms and conditions because they're like 1500 pages long nobody has ever read that apart from their lawyers basically and yeah you're, you're so right as soon as you download an app it suddenly has access to your camera and your microphone and your texts and your calls and all this kind of stuff and everybody's just yeah yeah, yeah no problem tick accept whatever just <laughs> download i need to use tiktok just download the thing and now people are suddenly panicking about, oh no, TikTok has all, all my information and stuff. It's like, well, yeah, you told it to have all of your information. You agree, <laughs> you agreed to that. So, yeah, I think I think you're totally right. I think the regulations are here to stay, and I think there's this is a whole other discussion we're not going to get into because we could be here for hours. But 
the fact that the lawmakers who are deciding this sort of things are not necessarily the people who are most educated about the technology yes. related to it. So people like you and I, who are professionals in this industry, have no influence over the people that are actually deciding the bigger picture stuff of where the industry is going <laughs> from a legal standpoint as well. But yes, that is a whole other conversation we can have. Maybe we'll, we'll have a second follow-up episode where we can just... Yeah, that will be nice. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to say about it. <laughs> cool. Well, that about wraps us up for this week. Thank you, Alice, for joining me. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. How can people follow you on social media, on websites, all that kind of stuff? How can people follow you across the internet and keep up with what you're doing? You can follow me on Twitter. My uh, surname is Alice Russell with double A. And I have my website, mercy-larry.com. So yeah, that's two ways of following me. Awesome. Links for those will both be in the show notes, listeners. So if you go to search.withcanda.co.uk, you'll find the links for everything we talked about this episode and the links for all of Alice's social media and websites there as well. And that's all we've got time for this week. Very interesting conversation. I've learned a lot as a person who is, as I mentioned on the episode, mostly a SEO person and not much of a PPC person. So I very much appreciate the conversation, the education about PPC. I hope any listeners out there, if you're more of an SEO and less of a PPC person like myself, you've learned something from this week's episode. And of course, I will be back next week. I have got an interview coming up in the next couple of weeks or so, but I'm sure I'll be back with Mark to talk more SEO and PPC news in the near future as well. So thank you very much for listening and have a lovely week. <laughs>